Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. You can't tell we're going to change things up a little bit this morning and uh, just sort of fill you in and, and kind of give us some perspective here this morning as we dive into things. So I appreciate the worship team coming and be a part of things, and even you, Dave. And um, so that's, that's all. I got him finally when he wasn't behind the drum, so that's a good thing. Um, but uh, we want to just talk for a few minutes this morning, and like I said, make sure you check um, on our website. We will keep that up to date. And by the way, if it's not there, uh, in other words, we will try to keep that up to date the best that we can moment by moment as we make decisions and find things out. But if you're not sure about something, don't ask other people and then start rumors. That's kind of what's already gone on. We thought we're this and that, and where this was going to happen, and are we going to have church at night, right? Um, and is it a one o'clock in the morning thing? And all these rumors fly around. If it's not on the website um, in our update, then don't count it as truth, okay? We will try to keep you as best informed we can there. So you knew that, know that, but we live in a very uncertain world, don't we? We live in a world that I think for a lot of people, they're surprised by all of this, that this whole concept of, of COVID-19 and, and the flu and coronavirus and all the things, and it's just been kind of building. But I think that it's very true of everything else in life that we have. And, and I was just uh, thinking about what do we talk about this morning? I mean, we just got done with our, our series on Jonah and the way that he was called by God to influence his world and how he, he chose to want to run from that and the whole story and how he viewed people. And I think that Jonah pretty much is pretty, pretty good for us to consider is that while we are probably, some of us want to go to our rooms and pull up a pillow and watch, you know, Hallmark movies all day, not me, but, um, you know, watch these things and do the things all day long. For some of us, that's our alternative. That's what we feel like doing. And, and it's not about comfort right now. A lot of people are out trying to figure out, how do I buy things? How do I stay safe? How do I keep my family safe? What do I do? How is this going to affect my business? I've already talked to people that have already said they know some of their uh, people they work with are already closing businesses because it's already affected them that much that they can't sustain because of the income which is being dropped and they can't pay employees. And, and so it's, it's a lot of change coming. We felt like they that we share with our senior adults not to come this morning if they didn't need to, meaning you know, if they felt like they wanted to stay home, it's our permission to be there, to be safe, because we love people, we want to make sure people are safe and uh, that, that we know that we're in God's hands. So we want to take some time this morning and just look in God's word and say, how do we want to respond as a church? What is it that God has for us? And then how do we view it as individuals? as God's followers. I was, uh, want to share just a couple stories with you to give you some perspective. And uh, as I thought about this, I began to say, well, what, what do we have that we can bring? What do we have that we can not only bring to our church, but what do we have that we can bring to our community and our world? And I began to look back and to think about the experiences that God has brought us through in ministry and, and for me and some different things. So I remember um, on September 11th, 2001, uh, being midair, coming home from Buenos Aires, Argentina. And uh, it was on that day that suddenly a pilot said, hey, we're going to be taking emergency landing in Dallas. And that wasn't the plan. I was headed to Los Angeles from Miami. And as we were getting closer to Dallas, he stopped and he said, there's been a terrorist attack in the United States. We're being diverted to Dallas. And right as we were getting ready to land, just beforehand, he said, we've been in the air for a while. He goes, we've been given permission for you to use your cell phones to contact your homes, to let them know that you're safe. Because oh, there's a lot of questions that day as 9-11 hit, and we know that terrorist attacks took thousands of people. But then so we were, it was stated almost immediately that the world as we knew it was going to change. 
And as we got into Dallas, so we were one of the last planes to land there. And I remember landing along the runway and seeing planes literally parked along the runways from every country of every airline that was there. And as it landed, we were pulled in and, and there was guards and there was people everywhere. And we were shuttled immediately to the American Airlines desk. And I'll never forget, there was a group of people from Japan there. And they were being told they probably didn't go, couldn't go home that day. And the tourist guide's face was white because he looked at these people who could barely speak their language, stuck, what do I do with them now? But it wasn't just them, it was person after person who we were told we didn't know what happened. We needed to go and find a hotel because they weren't prepared for this. So we went out and pulled out credit cards that we needed to do. I remember as we were ready to land, there was a woman sitting next to me. And as she heard the news we were being diverted to Dallas, she began to cry and, and tears began to stream down her face. She shared with me as we were there, I asked her if she was okay, and, and she made the statement, she goes, my son's in Ventura in California. She goes, I flew up here from Brazil, and he's having surgery this afternoon. He fell a day ago, and he broke his back. Chances are that he might be a quadriplegic, and this surgery he'll have this afternoon will determine if he'll walk again. And she goes, I was flying up to be with him. And as we kind of walked through things, and I kind of kept her walking along trying to help because she was lost her mind was nine. If she could really focused, all she could think was, how do I get home? And she went to check to see if she could get on a train, if she could rent a car. Well, by the time we got into Dallas, most of the rental cars were gone already because we were the last ones to land there. And, and it was a difficult time. And as we ate lunch, it just gave me that opportunity as several times tears came down her cheeks. And the phone lines were difficult because things were jammed up as people were confused. And all I did was I just put my hand across the table as we talked and I said, God's in control. I said, if I know anything, I know that God's got his hand on your son and God's got his hand on you. And his outcomes will be the reality of what God desires. And I said, can I just pray with you for a minute? And we prayed across the table. And as we were done praying, one of the people that we met on the plane asked her if she would be interested in jumping in a car. They had one more seat to drive back to California from a car that they had, bar a car that they had borrowed from someone. In order to do that, their friend had lent them. And I took off and I said, see, God is in control. But if you learn anything from those days of 9-11, what I saw is people came and went, and then we got to the hotel and people were, of course, panicked, and it was a lot of days of uncertainty, wasn't it? A lot of days of confusion about what was happening and what was going on, and reports were oftentimes conflicting. And so we would get to the hotel and we would give the information where we're at, and we're on a phone you know, connection, kind of a phone chain, and we get a phone call saying, hey, come back to the airport. Uh, we're ready to try to figure out how to get you home. And then with an act, and so they'd say, oh, we're, we're sorry. They've changed their minds. You're going to stay another 10 hours. Come back. And so you didn't go out anywhere because you couldn't be away from your phone. You didn't go very far because you couldn't be too far away to be able to get information as to be getting on the plane. And it took more than three days before we finally flew back to Los Angeles. And it was quite a different world as we saw it. But the eyes of the people and the things that were happening that some of those people in the airport, as they learned that they were diverted, that family things had changed, that for some, they even knew people that had lost their lives, their associates. They lost their lives those days. It was a community that was built around that, but it was very different and difficult. And I remember coming back to those times, and for my family, not even sure where I was at, not even sure what was happening, and the panic for them, and, and yet the disappointments and the fears and the struggles of those days were there. But it was the same God that I believe that we recognized, and we saw that. It was a couple of years after that, seven years or six years later exactly, on September 28th, that I was sitting in the office of the director of water and, and controls in the Dominican Republic. He was in charge of controlling all the dams in the country and the water supply for people. 
and we're going to be talking about drilling a well in a poor Haitian community. And as I arrived that morning, there was a rainstorm which was hitting, but it was just meant to blow by, as a lot of storms there do. And as we talked for a while, and he was asking questions about the project, suddenly he got a phone call, and he jumped up, and he said, there's a hurricane hit, this hurricane needs to go. He was the one that saw that, and they did not see this hurricane coming. It was Hurricane Noel. And in that time, as we discussed that, that hurricane came into the country and devastated a lot of the southern part of the country. It destroyed literally communities. The rivers were overwhelmed in the banks because they hadn't controlled them, and that was his job to do that. And they had to release some of the dams in order to free that up to keep the dams from breaking. And in those days, there was 116 people that lost their lives and as I said, not only were whole, whole communities destroyed, but families were washed away. It was within hours of that moment that I just simply drove in back because I had nowhere else to go, and it was definitely a hurricane. It settled in without being expected, and the government wasn't ready, and it was within just a few hours that some of those that I was very blessed to work with began to call and say, hey, the community by the river needs our help. Can we do anything? What can we do? We're available. And these were young men and women that in my eyes were heroes. Because while the government was stuck and they were caught by surprise, these young men and women were tying ropes around their waist, going into the homes of the river, which was flooding many homes. There was the poorest areas in the Dominican Republic where people could squat, and their homes were being washed away, and the people had nowhere to go and no way to get out. And these young men and women were going into these homes and, and tying boats onto each other and going out to save their lives and to bring them into safety. And it was over the next we saw that we had the opportunity to serve there with this country that was devastated in those days. We saw a lot of people desperate, a lot of people that didn't know where food would come from because the government wasn't quick to act, and the world community would literally take days to get there. But in those days that came, I got the opportunity to serve with those people, and the greatest thing about us as people in the United States is we realize in those moments the resources we have and how blessed we are oftentimes and so immediately money began to stream in and resources, and, and we were able to give away in those days to come in that two weeks more than three and a half tons of food. We were able to take it to people that were desperate. We saw and were able to give away more than 5,000 gallons of water. We gave away blankets, brought medical supply, brought doctors to that. My children flew down, helped out, and they said, we're here to serve whatever we can do. People were jammed in shelters for days. And as you looked and went from shelter to shelter, and especially one of the communities we went to, a Haitian Bate community we worked with there, it was isolated because on all, three, all sides of it, there were rivers. The government had recently begun to dig a new highway, and a part of that was to dig a channel to divert water through that. And because of that, that rose, and it cut them completely off. And the people sat as this hurricane hit, watching the waters rise in their community, and it literally stopped at the doorsteps of hundreds of people that were there. As God halted the rain before they were to die, because literally they had no save them and they had nowhere to go. But as we rode across the river there with trucks and waters, that we'd been called and asked if we could help, the eyes of desperation of the people is something you never forget. And I will say to you that in all all these places that you see God work and you see God and His people step up, but you also see the humanity of people. It wasn't. Too many more years after that than on January 12, 2010, a devastating earthquake hit Haiti, Port-au-Prince. I thought that I was uh, not ever called to go to Haiti, but in the next few days that came, we were called to come and to be able to go and to help the people there by giving some insights and being available. And on that day, that 7.0 earthquake hit Port-au-Prince, it killed up to 350,000 people. 
It displaced more than one and a half million people. It destroyed 60% of the government buildings, 80% of the schools, and 100% of the universities in the Port-au-Prince area. It devastated in, in ways that I couldn't imagine, and it looked more than like a bomb went off because it was block after block after block of buildings that weren't just slightly damaged, but of buildings that had collapsed and waffled and fallen down with people caught inside. And people in Port-au-Prince were desperate. I remember the first night that we pulled into Port-au-Prince with a bus from a university in Santo Domingo. It was a Christian university, and they wanted to go to serve. And some of the doctors and other people there, and, and one of my favorite people in the world, she had coordinated this effort, and, and she would tirelessly for, on surgeries and trying to help people that their lives were changing. And she would, she would rally people around. She never saw anything that was too great of a challenge, and she always believed that God wanted to do something greater, and that every one of those people, and she reminded us constantly, every one of those people, every one of those children, family, they were important to God, and therefore they had to be important to us. I remember watching that happen as we went into the triage area, and then later on as we pulled into a compound that had mostly been destroyed, there were people from, from all countries there, but in this area, many Dominicans and People from the United States flooded in. We were sleeping in tents. And let me tell you, sleeping in Haiti in the heat in tents is no fun. But the water was brought in. We, we minimized what we had. But the walls around us were surrounded by thousands of people searching for food and for water, and they were desperate. I'll never forget the day that we walked into Port-au-Prince through the streets, and you can't believe the devastation. But to be there and to see what was happening, and as we got out of the bus shortly, and some of the people thought we were crazy, but you couldn't see down the narrow streets, and we want to understand what was truly happening. And we walked down a narrow street, and it was there that we met a young teenage girl carrying a suitcase on her head. And she shared with us that moment that she said she lost all of her family. She barely got out. She watched her home collapse behind her, taking the lives of all of her family. And when she went to her grandparents' house, their home was also on her head. Was she lost them, and she lost everyone that she knew as a family member. And on her head was a suitcase, and she'd been wandering through the streets since that moment of the earthquake with all that she could gather in that suitcase for days, trying to find some kind of hope in some place to find food and water and shelter. But she'd lost everything. I remember the, the frustration that we felt of saying, where do we send her? Because everywhere we looked, people were desperate. And the interesting thing about all of these things is when you look at people's eyes, when you look at what they're, they're seeing, it's because in the midst of those moments, you notice some of the things that are so much true of each, each of those people. And what you see in the midst of those things is the human condition. What you see is the human struggle and the reality that these moments bring to people. And I want to say that in our country... <laughs> Can't be what I eat. There are no donuts. Um, but, uh, but it's in those moments that we see the devastation. We see people's faces and we see their eyes. And I want to say to you that, that I asked my mom the other day, I said, what was it like after Pearl Harbor when, when it hit the country that we were at war? I said, did it feel like this? And she said, yeah. She said, when we begin to feel out of control, that things come at us in life. And I think there's more questions about what's going on with COVID-19 and our world. And I've never in a million years would I believe that church continue to spread. would meet just through the internet. And God, thank him for that. Thank you that God had a plan to continue to spread it on. But God doesn't just want to use the internet and, and use that as a way to share with people. He wants to continue to use what he always has, and that's people. But in their eyes, there's some things that you see. And, and I want to talk about that human condition a little bit with you this morning because there are people around us that if we, if we fail to understand it, 
we miss tremendous opportunities. We miss to be in those places that God wants to use us to do things, and, and God wants to, to, to make it so we're not just self-absorbed, self-focused. Let me tell you something. It's very easy. It's been easy for many people, 9-11, that instead of going to rescue and to save others or to care for others or to give up their seats and cars, to carry someone along, to give a word, to take groceries, or in that hurricane for those, those young men and women to say, hey, I want to take care of my family, I'm good, but instead immediately there was a need and they saw what Jesus would do and they went. Or people that served in the streets of Haiti for people that were desperate and they continue, many of them today, to be desperate. What is that human condition that we see in people? And I think that it's, that it doesn't matter what culture it is or what moment or what situation, that that human condition is the same. That human condition we see, first of all, is fear. Maybe it's something that you felt already. You can say, no, not really, but I'm sure in all of us in this room, we've wondered what's going to happen. How deep is this going to go? And it's changing. It's going to affect me and the people around me. We know that it's cutting off school and some of us are changing our jobs and it's changing church and it's changing other things. But I think in our humanness, we, we ask the question, what about me? What's going to happen in my life? Will I get the virus? Am I afraid? And many, many people are afraid of getting it. And not only that, they're afraid of being those that get it and pass it on to others before they know they have it because of how contagious it is, because we're so uncertain early on of how it was spread. But that fear is very real. We're afraid of what we don't know. And in every situation where I saw people devastated, in situations they couldn't control, they were afraid because they didn't know what was ahead of them and they didn't know what it was that was coming at them. Whether it was 9-11, we didn't understand the whole totality of what it was that had hit us as a country, but we knew that it would change us. And in those communities, I remember sitting and watching one of the mothers who was sharing with us as we went to this community, which had been wiped off the map of the Dominican Republic in just a few moments. And she shared this story as she, she talked about her, her children and her husband. She said her husband took her and he took her and put her on top of this wall, on top of one of the things. He went back and he, he grabbed his children and he thought he had them. And as he began to walk across and get one of his other children, he said the storm and the, and the river just welled up. And they couldn't get back to his wife. And he said that he crawled up this tree. And she remembered the story of watching her husband crawl higher and higher, pushing his children higher up as the river rose. And he said, and then one moment at the top of that tree, she saw her husband washed away and one by one her children. What was amazing is that people gathered around her. They made sure that she was fed, but she didn't care. They tried to make sure that she had water, but she didn't care. Her heart needed to be cared for. And the reality was the only thing that could touch her heart, the way it needed to be touched, that very moment was Jesus. And people knew that, but all we could do is just gather around her and pray for her and say, this is the reality of it. It's the same God that gave you those children as a blessing. The same God that touched your life and gave you that husband as a blessing is the same God who's with you right now, and he understands the depths of your pain. He said, it may not make complete sense, but I said, trust him. And she cried, and she shared that story. But then in a moment, she said, what do I do now? She was, I've lost everything. The church community in that area stepped up around her and they told her she wasn't alone. That she'd have to go through this alone. And it was amazing because this little lady, never forget her. She could barely walk. She'd been beaten up by the river, getting off her house. And she had bandages all over her and she could barely walk. But she walked up and put her arm around her and she said, God is with you. 
God is with you. And when fear comes, in that human condition, and we know that, and we don't know the depths of this illness, what will happen, but there are people who are afraid. Let's admit it, that some of us are afraid. That fear of losing control that, that goes on, because not only we're we afraid of what we don't know, but we're afraid of what we can't control. But I think it's an illusion that we believe we ever really have it, don't we? I mean, which one of us knew what day we'd be born or which day we'll die? Which of us knew what things in our life would change the course of our lives? We don't ever know those things, and I think it's an illusion we want to live by that we can somehow control it. But it's God and God alone that controls both our birth and our death. Our destiny, our purpose, our future, and our tomorrow. We just don't know. But people are being driven in moments like these to ask the questions. They've already been driven to our campus to pray with people, to be hugged by somebody you don't know who, who's a gang member who walks on our campus and is weeping over his family already because he's afraid. Or the person who calls and says, I need help. I don't know what I need, but I just know that someone's there for me. Isn't it interesting that in these moments people turn in desperation to God? But you can see it in people's eyes and you can hear it in their voices. And then the fear of pain or suffering. We don't, it's a reality is we don't know what COVID-19 even looks like yet, really, do we? We know it's taking lives. We know it's making people sick. We know kind of what the focus is on it. We're talking about how to control it. But we don't know what God's plan is with it. And how far it will go or how deep it will cut. But in that fear comes pain of feeling like not only... Do I not want to be sick, but I, I don't want anyone around me to be sick. I don't want to lose relationships. I don't want things in my life to change. And the reality is that if people are already losing businesses, if they're already losing family members, if they're already losing the feeling of safety, they're getting in lines and fighting over toilet paper at Costco. We've lost the, the pain. We brought the pain on that we don't even realize how deep it cuts. But that desperation that follows pain is, is true. And is real. That I'll do what it takes to protect my family. I'll do what it takes to protect myself. And that's a very real truth. But even then, we don't have control over that, do we? And when I can't, I become desperate and, and I feel my humanity set in. And that's those people begging at the, the walls in Dominican Republic, excuse me, in Haiti, begging for a little bit of water so their child can live who's sick and is dehydrating. People literally, I'll never forget, holding their children up to the fence saying, take my please feed them. That's desperation. And the reality that we kind of control life, and that's when it gets really tough, because that's when our humanity sets in. And the reality of this is our need for God. The reality of moments like this is our finiteness, our inability to control our world, including our moments, including our body. But the reality is, is that we can trust in the God who does. In Proverbs 12.25, it says, Anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down. You can see it in people around you, can't you? Anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down. It's a heavy world, and we laugh, and we try to act like it doesn't affect us. But, but look what's happening in our world as we respond. But what's so awesome is the second part of this, because it says, But a good word makes him glad. But a good word makes him glad that while people are weighed down, a good word makes him have some joy and hope in his life. And that's what makes God so awesome. 
The same God who was in control, who had a plan yesterday, the same God is in control today. And we have to remember that. We have to remind people of that and remind each other of that. The same God who was in control at the beginning as a world that we see it and throughout history for his people, he is the same God who is in control of us as his people today. And the call about that and all he has for us is the same. The great thing about that second part of that verse is that while the world is, is anxious, while they're weighed down, that if this spreads, people are going to become more desperate. People will become more human. But it's in that that God shouts, and a good word, a true word, brings peace, brings hope. And that is the truth of Christ. That's the message that we get to carry. That's the good word that we get to speak is about Jesus. But we need to remind each other of that truth that he's taking care of us. And that as a community of people, we're called to care for one another and we're called to go beyond what, what we see as the world does because we've got a higher calling, because we've got a God who gave us everything. I want to share with you this morning that that message of Jesus is the only message that makes a difference. It's the only one that makes a lasting purpose in life. It's the only message that gives true perspective. I cannot tell you the number of times that I sat across the table and I didn't know how. I didn't know what way God was going to work. And I saw this true of people and I wonder sometimes, how could those people go do what they do? How could people face famine and tell those people that God's alive? How could they face atrocities in our world and look across the table or in a chair for family members and say, God is still alive? But what's amazing in our humanness is when God doesn't only speak, God shouts. And we need to be people that have the confidence to believe in our God in that way and we're reminded to each other that that word is true. That God is at work in the midst of it. And although we don't understand all the realities of it, that a good word, a good word brings peace. A good word brings hope. A good word brings perspective because God is not done with people yet. But we as his people, we're the ones that carry that message. And I can stand in front of you this morning and share those stories because I want you to know that no matter what we face, I want to encourage you in the days, weeks, who knows how long all this is going to go on. But God's in the midst of all of it, and he's got us in his hands. And he wants us to be those that remind our world of that. In Psalm 27, 1, he says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. It's in him. In the midst of all of this, we have to perceive one that we need to trust to give us perspective and understanding and shine light upon all of the perceived truths and know that God is the only one that holds ultimate truth. And that we're going to seek after him with all that we are and ask him to guide us and direct us. And God is my salvation. It is in him alone whom will I fear. If God is my salvation, no one can take that from me. Not even death. And our belief and our trust in that at moments like this causes us who follow Jesus to have to ask the question, am I confident in that? 
Am I so confident that I'm willing to pass that message to others with complete and total confidence being able to say this to you? As much as you can see desperation and pain and fear in their eyes, people will see your confidence in God in yours. Our hearts speak. Our tone of our voice and our willingness to serve speaks. He goes on in Psalm 27.1 and he says, The Lord is the stronghold of my life. It's where I trust for my strength, where I know that I find my safety. No matter what the world throws at me, I can go back to him. And it's in the salvation, the light of God, that I can continue to trust and see over and over again that, God, you are truly in control, and I yield to you, God. I gave my life to you, Jesus. And we have to remember that, Jesus, I gave my life to you. In that, it means I give every moment to you. And I give my future to you. And as my stronghold, I trust you will have your way in my life. And I want to yield to that. If God's in control of our lives, if he loved us enough to send his son Jesus to die for us and to give us a purpose to live life for, don't you think that he's engaged moment by moment in the reality of what we face every day? Well, if that's true, of whom or what shall I be afraid? That needs to be the truth of our words. And the second part in seeing people's fears that in that humanness, people become more open, people seek God more. They become more and more open because they realize they're they're limited. They realize that they're finite. They don't have perspective that what they thought they knew they didn't really knew. And all the fact they could control things, they suddenly go out of control. So all the fears come to reality and their humanness sets in. But it opens the door to God speaking in your depths of the heart. It seems to be at that moment of our complete brokenness, that's where God speaks a lot to us. And there are people facing those difficult times right now, and they're inside crying out. But the interesting thing is that God has been seeking, and God has been calling out to them this whole time. But listen to these words in 2 Timothy 1.7. It speaks to us, and he says, For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. It's a promise which are words spoken from Paul to Timothy to remind him of the power of Christ. For God gave us a spirit. You catch this? Paul knew the moments. Paul knew moments like this would come. Jesus knew moments like this would come. And God knew this before it even happened. That God knew this virus would come and God knew the moment when this virus would be gone. God knew in his plan and his history and all that he designed, God knew. And in the midst of that, God says to you and I, for God gave us a spirit not of fear. There's a trust is in him, but of power. You catch that? But of power. He's giving I the ability to speak power into people's lives, to speak God into people's lives in the moments when they fear. Not that we get preachy in heart, but because that power means that we, we decide how we're going to live life and what we're going to do with these moments and how available we are to God. Available for Him. Are you available? Are you available for Him to let Him speak through you with the spirit of power and love? and self-control, 
Because when the world's confused, we shouldn't be confused as his people. If we're confused, we're living in a spirit of fear, but that's not what he's given to us. But he asked the question, do you trust me? Is your life still in my hands? Have you taken it back and living in fear? Trying to control your future, thinking you can do that, when in reality we all know that we can't. But he said, are you living out that life of power? I want to say something to you of all those stories I shared. Again, there's nothing more powerful than the truth of Jesus. And in the days that we face and the things that come, I want to say to you that God has given you a spirit of power in your life. That in his spirit, he has poured that into you and he wants us to use that. And he wants us to have that, that power of love. The world's not offering because the more People become desperate the more they become self-centered. But what's amazing that means is that knowing that it's about Jesus and it's not about us, it means that we can show the power of love and what that means, that we trust our life is in God and he uses us. And then that spirit of self-control, why would he put power and love and self-control? Because that self-control means that we're able to control our emotion, trust him and give him those things and lean on him. That we're not going to react in the midst of the stress of the world. We're not going to let the confusion and the lines and all the things going on and the fear that we might not have toilet paper. Are you living that way? Are you following the world, seeing what's going on? And I'm not saying we shouldn't be cautious, we shouldn't be aware, but I say if that's what defines us and that fear is what defines the depths of our heart and it, and it eats at us, then the world's controlling you and not that of Christ. And the self-control that we face means that when those moments arise, we stop ourselves and we reflect and we say, God, what do you see? What are you doing, God? What do you understand? We can live with no fear, no intimidation. I want to encourage us in this this morning to understand that those opportunities I've had to see things happen globally, God has opened doors up and while they're heartbreaking, they change my life, the thing that changed my life more was the heroes I saw. I'm sold out to men and women that said yes to Jesus and settled it in their hearts. They said, I'm sold out to you. People who thought they had no purpose, and I'll never forget this one guy. He was simply pretty much the janitor at the university. And he said, I've got to go to Haiti. And he began to bug the president and other people there. We've got to go to Haiti just shortly after it happened. And they didn't take him very seriously. He was just kind of the janitor, fix-it guy. But as soon as they arrived, he began and they understood. He, he said, just get us three buses. We'll take some students. And everybody's going, nobody will go. He goes, just get us three buses. What are you going to do? And he goes, we'll figure it out. He began to ask people for rice and beans. They began to load the bus up with rice and beans. They began to show up. And this guy began to cart tools and began to put this stuff. And he went and he said, we need surgeons. He went and started gathering people. Go, Nobody's going to go. They're busy here. He shows up with five or six people that are surgeons. This little janitor guy was compelling. And as it all came together, they arrived at this little border town just across from Haiti. And they set up the triage set there and they began to write names down. And I want to share to you this little group of people the United Nations began to depend on them for reunifying people that had been lost. 
They were the place that people sent the acute cases to. They began to come and watch this whole thing happen. And everybody began to structure themselves, all being set up by this guy who barely anybody knew his name, but he put people around him and trusted in a big God. And I want to say that maybe for us, we feel like, well, what God does God want to do with me? We only know in those moments. We understand those moments. But it's oftentimes in those moments that God speaks through people, that God raises up heroes. And I want to say to you this morning that I'm going to guess that there are people in our world around us that we'll see every day that need you to be their hero. They're going to need you to give them the peace that they're not going to find other places. That for some of them, they're going to need you to be the message of Christ, to carry the truth of Jesus. But the real question is this. Am I available? Have I settled my place with Jesus to know that I am? And I believe and I claim that God gave me not a spirit of fear. And am I claiming it this morning that God gave me a spirit of power? God, I'm claiming that. Are you claiming this morning to say, God, you gave me that spirit of love? God, I cling to it self-control, and I'm trusting you. In the spirit of self-control that I can perceive moment by moment, not by reacting, but by seeing through Jesus' eyes the things that he would do and the trust that only his followers can have. Well, this is a challenge, and we don't know what's going to happen in the weeks to come. It's not just a challenge, but it's an opportunity. And how often... Does God use these opportunities to speak into people's lives, including ours? So I'm excited in, in many ways. Well, the challenges are here for us. What do we do with church? How often do we meet? What goes on if it continues to multiply? We don't know all those questions even. But what's amazing is we know the God who knows the answers. And I would pray that we would join together as a body and pray for God's wisdom. Pray for God's insight how to meet the needs of this world that is afraid and confused and struggling and out of control, that we could be that spirit of power and of love and of self-control. And I would ask you to join me in prayer consistently, not only praying for us as a church, but praying for other churches here in Long Beach. Praying for the churches globally because this is an opportunity church to live out the truths of Christ in a way in which the world needs it. But it begins for us here at Hope Church with us. And I had asked that we lift them up daily, that we lift up each other daily, lift up our leaders. But not just that we'd survive, but we would see God thrive in the midst of this. That we discover things about ourselves that God wants to teach us especially about how to live out in the strength of God in a world which is afraid and confused and struggling, that we'd know what the end result is. We know what the end of our life looks like, not the moment, but the eternity. And in that, we have all that Christ needs for us, all that he has for us. I'm asking you to bow your heads and close your eyes this morning. And 
I just want you to take a minute with God, and I, I want you to wrestle with that question with him alone this morning. Have I given myself over to him? I may have said yes to you, Jesus, but if I really said yes to you, then I'm not going to live in a spirit of fear. But that Jesus said, I want you to show me how to live in that spirit of pouring your life over to him. Confident like I've never been before, God. And if you've never turned your life over to him in that way, say, God, right here, right now, I'm yielding my life to you. It's time. God, I want a life of power. I want a life of love. I want a life of self-control, God. I yield my life to you again right now, Jesus. We also asked in this moment that you would ask God to lead people that are afraid into your life. Say to God right now, God, I yield to you, therefore I want to be a vessel. And I pray that God, you would bring people to my life that need to hear this word of truth. God, give me the insight and the wisdom to know when they speak. When I see it in their eyes. That I'm sold to you. Father God, we live not just now, but every day in truly uncertain times. The God that we so often want to control our lives and God we so often fully believe that we can look at our destiny. And yet God we yield right now to the God of our destiny. The God that we would in confidence lay that at your feet and say God my life is yours and, and God when you're going to take me or how you're going to use me or God what you're going to do with me it's all yours. I yield it. God, I pray that you would cast out of our lives all fear. The fear that would paralyze us, the fear that would cause us to, to think that we can control, that would make us stay away from, from people that have need, God, that would make us afraid to even be with a friend, that God would cause us to hide in our rooms, to run away. God, the reality is, is that in any moment, you know, you have your plans for us. Look at this wisdom in this, God, and how not to be foolish, but how to be wise, to be your hands and your feet in the heart of Jesus. Because right now, God, our world is confused, and it's afraid. We want to be power and truth. It's going to be new for some of us, Jesus, but that's what you want to use us to do. And so we yield to you. Right now, God, we claim, church God, we claim that you want to use us to touch lives and God, we're available to you. And 
We ask you to lead us and guide us. And God, I do pray for every church here in Long Beach, God, and for our state and for our, our world, God. The Spirit would just pour forth and that, that you would use the church's light to speak to a fearful and desperate world, God. But that would just be, right now, God, the beginning of a, of a fresh spirit sweeping across your church to realize that Jesus is the only answer. We lean on you. We trust you right now in your name. Amen.